Welcome to Scores and Pours, the podcast where you learn about wine and classical music, hosted by sommelier Jill Mott and me, radio host Emily Reese. Today, I'm going to teach you all about classical music. Not all. All about classical music. All of you. Yeah. About cla- <laughs> a, a, little, a little something I love about classical music. Awesome. And I'm on wine duty today, so you guys basically aren't going to learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not true. Check out patreon.com slash scores and pours for a full playlist and a wine list and consider supporting the musicians you hear by buying their music. Emily Reese is opening a bottle of wine. Emily Reese is opening a bottle of wine. It's my turn today. Don't judge. I'm not. (laughs) the way I'm opening it. <laughs> I broke it. <laughs> oh, Will you do it? Why don't you do it? Because I'll mess it up. It'll all break up in there and you're the professional. <laughs> Squeak. <laughs> what we got today. (laughs) There you go. That was amazing. Thank you. Hi, Jill Mott. Hello, Emily Reese. How's it going? I'm so excited to listen to to all of the music I've prepared today. (laughs) (laughs) I am too. I can't wait to learn more about the bassoon from you. Yeah, we chose, we decided, I I said, Emily, why don't you teach people about wine, some element of wine that you find interesting that you want to learn about, and I will teach the folks, the homies, about an element that I find interesting, which is I think the bassoon is so underestimated. It's the best. Most people probably couldn't even isolate the sound if they heard it because it's all usually always tucked back in the bass tenor section. Mm-hmm. Shame on them. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to just talk a bit more about it and enlighten the homies on how cool the bassoon actually is. The bassoon is amazing, and I love it. And I'm so excited to hear some badass bassoon today. What are you going to teach us about in the Venice Enological Viticultural Department? I'm going to teach you about a grape that it turns out has like 17 different names, which is hilarious. Most of them do, so don't feel... Okay. Don't like... Because regionally, right? They they name them something different in region, and then they find out it's the same grape or whatever. They can, and they can... Yes, and sometimes it moves, you know, it'll travel via immigration and emigration across the world, and mm-hmm. then they... They name it the grape that they learned that it was in their homeland. Yeah, right. But then someone else already has it and they call it something else, you know. Yeah. So yeah. So this one has a, a lot of names, but is I think the parent name is Fair Servadu. Yes. And <laughs> I picked it because I thought it was delicious. So we'll talk about that. That's why I picked that grape. It's a red one, just so you know. 
Cool. <laughs> we, and we know it. Yeah, several synonyms. I'm sure you'll tell oh, us yeah, about. Oh yeah, I'll talk about some of the synonyms. What yeah. do we want to? What do we want to start with? Do well, we let's wanna... start with bassoon. I mean, <laughs> I really want to start with bassoon because you're just like about to pop over there with bassoon love. I, I am. It's, it's just, great. It's just so good. Uh, we have matching socks on BTW. Just we thought do. I'd point that out. They're both aqua with stripes, which is pretty creepy. <laughs> okay, so um, I wanted to talk about the history of the bassoon just a little bit. Yeah. Um, like, why do we have this instrument? How? Why does it look the way it does today? There are a couple different versions of the bassoon that they sound quite different, but you would never know it unless you were to hear them side by side played. So I wanted to show people that. Fun. And then we'll listen to a few different tunes where the bassoon is featured in its, no pun intended, but pun accepted, classical element where it plays this sort of low bass. And then we're going to listen progressively to where it actually gets some time in the sunshine, which we don't have here today in Minneapolis. No, we really don't. But in about 10 minutes, we will though. Yeah. That's what it's been (laughs) like the last couple of weeks. It's so weird. Yep. Yeah. We've had some strange weather. So if you have seen the bassoon ever, you know, you know, it's a pretty tall instrument. Mm -hmm. It originates from, well, the original not bassoon, but it was called a dulcian and it was a one piece instrument that had, I don't know, I think I want to say like around eight finger holes. It was made of some sort of wood. People blew into it to make a sound. And the bassoon, that's sort of the father instrument or mother instrument that the bassoon came from. Um, You have someone in the Holtater family that was around the 1650s that decided to like make more finger holes, make keys, make several pieces make the instrument longer, more complex. So that's when we have the Dulcian kind of not morphing into, but someone, you know, taking it and... Inspiration and, from... Yeah, run, running running with it to make something that had a had more octaves, that could have a, a bigger range with more complexities. And nowadays we... We lump it in the woodwind family and specifically the double reed family. So we think of oboes, you know, the entirety of the top of the mouthpiece, you know, the top and the bottom mm-hmm. are reeds, yep. as is the bassoon. So they have like a, a similar, even though they sound obviously very different, they have a similar ring to them yeah. and pitch that like the clarinet doesn't right. have. Yep. And so with a bassoon, you have like three octaves. And in some cases, they can stretch that even a note or two. I didn't assume that it had that much of a range to it. That's a big range. Um, and it, you have to obviously be a very talented player to be able to play in all of those octaves very well. Mm-hmm. But I think I will leave it there. Uh, Are we going to listen to anything now or are we going to wait? I think we can wait. I'm going to go into talking Hilarious. about the two different types. Okay. Of bassoons, love it. That originated, but I let's let's okay. let's talk wine. Okay, <laughs> that's me being thirsty. Okay, well let's um, talk about Fair Servado, which um, I first knew as Braucol, and that's what they call it in Gaillac, which is in southwestern France. And if you like, if you know where Toulouse is, it's really close to Toulouse. But I also think of like, you know, how France goes into Spain and there's that like how France is kind of squarish, but then it has that little bit that just like becomes Spain. That little, it's really close to that little bit down at the bottom. And so that's, that's <laughs> my description of where, love it, where Gaillac is. And, uh, and 
it probably also came from the the Basque country of Spain, this grape did. So it's probably from there, but nobody's really positive because it's been around in France for a long, long time. And it's unbeknownst to me, it's super important grape for that region, like hugely important. So Mm -hmm. when I found that out, I'm like, I'm not going to do any of this right, (laughs) but we'll see. It's a red grape and I am so much a white wine lover, just almost all the time, hands down over red wine. But the first time I ever tasted this red wine, which I think was like in the fall uh, at a tasting that Jill Mott wasn't even at. And I just loved it so much because to me, it drank much more like a white wine than a red wine, which we can talk about that later too. But this wine, this this grape, Fair Servido or Braucol, it also has at least two other names, probably many, many more. But there's maybe a little controversy. I'm interested to hear what you've heard about it, but I could find two reasons for it being called fair, one of which is that fair is the French word for iron, and the vines, that the part that grows above the ground, I guess, is really, it's very hard wood compared to a lot of grapevines, and so it can be really difficult to trellis or prune. But then there's also other sources that said fair servido is named because fair is like a shortened word for the word, what word means savage. And so I'm, I'm not really sure why it's called fair, but those are two potential reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're looking at me for confirmation. I'm I don't like, know. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you yeah. know. <laughs> no, I've heard from winemakers um, more of the, the first. That it's, the wood is so hard and yep. like difficult to, to manipulate and yep and to trellis which is really important for a lot of winemakers how they're going to actually position their shoots so that they can get great sun exposure and and ripening and Mm -hmm. i've heard the savage hypothesis too but more so the with iron first one yeah yeah so it's a red grape and in that region of France, it's found in a lot of the what are called the AOC wines, which are the ones that have the rules and certifications and stuff, right? So mm-hmm. you can find it in stuff like Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. And like blended with those blended. grapes. Blended. Yeah, yep. of course. Yes, blended with those grapes. But like, for instance, in Marciac, it has to be 90% of the blend, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. So whatever wine they make there in Marciac. Um, and in fact, in Marciac, it's called fair. They don't call it uh, brow coal. They call it fair. So yeah. So, that's, so let's taste it. Should we taste it? Yes. And then we'll talk about it. Then we'll listen to music. and We absolutely okay. should taste let's it. Let's do it. Yeah. To scores and pours. Scores and pours. Come on. I, this is... So perfumed. It's so perfumey. And I feel like if flowers smelled like wine... Rather than wine that smells like flowers, this is to me like if I went up to a bouquet of flowers and it smelled like wine, mm. this is that wine. Love it. Yeah. This is one of those – I had a friend – we talked at length uh, at a virtual happy hour this weekend about the difference between natural wine and conventional wine. And yeah, you a lot of people can say like, oh, yeah, natural wine, you have more energy or you have – it's more vivacious or more alive. And But that's sort of – that's hard to transmit, I think. Because people could taste both wines side by side and say they're delicious or they're, they both are alive to me or they both – when you taste a wine like this that's in this natural camp, it's like 
approved Dionysian response. <laughs> it's like, yes! <laughs> oh, my God. And, and you're yeah. like, but you're not going to go have an orgy and drink 19 bottles. Right. You know? You're just but gonna, you could with this, but but I I know <laughs> what I mean is you but you you drink this and you're like it just elates you. Yeah. You get you're like you kind of look yeah. up to the heavens for a quick moment. And you're like thank you, you <laughs> yeah. know. Whereas with other wines, you could be like wow, this has got notes of raspberry yeah. and it's this is cost like, three figures. To me, it's like one of the simplest, most fulfilling tastes of wine that you can have. Smells like wet clay too, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah, wet clay smelled like wine, yeah. <laughs> it would smell like this. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to steal that, Emily You should Reese. steal it. It's a good one because that's what I thought when I had some. Um, I've been drinking a lot of this lately as in I've had like three bottles over the course of the last two months. So I've had it around some and I opened a bottle – Saturday, and I drank the last of it yesterday. And there was just one glass left, and I drank it. And one of the things I really like about it as as it's open for a couple of days is it gets more acidic, and I like that a lot too because that's one of the things I really love about white wine that I miss when mm -hmm. I drink some red wine. Yeah. Well, and I would like to – what I think you're noticing is sometimes when wine is open, the fruit can diminish. Okay. And so what we're smelling, or excuse me, what we're tasting, that might – the acidity doesn't necessarily get higher because acidity is a fixed thing, right? I mean, in theory, yes, it can get lower because your, you know, your wine is oxidizing, right? But most people say that, that acid's like a fixed thing and it doesn't move much. So mm -hmm. what happens is your fruit will go get higher, lower, your tannins will get higher, lower, and that will accentuate a perception of acid. One thing I didn't look, which is hilarious, and I totally should have looked, is what this was fermented in. Because one of the things that when I looked up the research, or when I was reading about the grape, and some places say it's a tannic grape, and it's got a lot of tannin, tannin, tannin. And I don't, I can tell that, I mean, there's obviously tannin in this wine, but they couldn't possibly have done this in any kind of oak because I feel like it'd be more tannic, right? Hold on. I'm going to lean over and give Emily Reese a high five. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yes. This is all stainless steel. Okay. And it has, a, has a fairly short maceration. It's like 10, 10 days to maybe two weeks. On the skins. On the skins. So mm -hmm. that is where the tannins would come from. Okay. Yeah. And if you're you're not pumping over, you're not – sitting and wetting that cap and pushing down. A lot of people will push down the cap four times a day to extract more tannin. Oh, the cap of what's floating to the top as it ferments. Exactly, the, all the skins. Okay. People like punch that down to okay. just extract more tannin because yeah. there was a time where lots of tannin was popular. Yeah. And now you are coaxing something out, which you may not. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah. Um, very perceptive. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, let's listen to some bassoon though. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> We're going to listen to a tune by Camille Sasson. That uh, we're going to listen to two different parts that he plays the same tune, but with two different bassoons. So we have one that's called the French bassoon or the Buffet bassoon. And then uh, there's one called the Heckel or the German bassoon that is a, a bit more popular these days just um, in function and sound. So we'll listen to 
this side by side so we can I love it. I'm so glad you found this. I love this. I've never heard these two side by side. So first we'll listen to the German, the Heckel bassoon that has become a bit more popular these days. Uh, Movement number three, I listened to all of the movements to figure out which one I thought displayed the differences best in movement three, I think definitely does. So first here's the German Heckel bassoon. the French buffet bassoon. The German one seems like brighter... Yep. And a little bit kind of crisper, and the buffet sounds like kind of more like richer, more depth. But yeah, you hear those keys moving, mm-hmm. not more cumbersome, not, but a little bit more maybe chunky perhaps. So here's the German one again. The pitch just seems a little higher. And then now the French buffet. about it, the more people that play both, the German one is more requested. It's more highlighted in pieces. So if people play both, they're usually playing more of the heckle, the but heckle, I d- yeah. in his case, I have yep. no idea. Yeah, no, I think that sounds right to me. Just, I mean, I'm, I'm I'll, ne- I'll just anecdotally I'll through. I'll Dr. Darren Zubka and be like, yo. Yo, dude. What do you play more of? By the way, love them both. They both sound amazing, and it's such a great instrument. It's seriously, it's just the, oh, it's just the best. If it's one of best. those, if one of those, could be Brokal that we're drinking right now. Yeah. Buffet or Heckel? Don't yeah. tell me what you think. Oh, okay. On the count, we'll go one, two, three, shoot. Okay. I'm gonna say, say the country w- name. Yeah, that's what I'll say too. Okay. One, two, three, French. France. Yeah, yes! for sure. For and, sure. And I don't, I don't think that because it's like this is from France and French. No, no, but nope. It's like nope. kind of rustic. Yes, exactly. And that's a word that you see all over the place when you are researching this grape. Rustic. And you, I think that it sounds the buffet bassoon yeah. sounds more. Yep, rustic. Yep, uh-uh. it does. It does. Love it. What else do you have on? What else do you oh. have on Fair Servadu? Slash well, Rucal. for the longest time, people in Argentina thought they were growing fair. 
<laughs> it turns out they were growing Malbec. <laughs> the South Americans, man, they thought they were growing, uh, what, was, what was it, Merlot and it something. was Carmenere. I mean, yeah. come on, people. Yeah, there was some, other, I remember us talking about that on the show. I mean, and I shouldn't say come on, people. It wasn't just South Americans. No. The French people that set up shop there, they thought they yeah. were growing in Merlot too. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. So in, yeah, that's just funny that it's still called fair in Argentina though. So if you see fair and it's from Argentina, it's Malbec. It's not <laughs> fair servido, uh, which is funny. What's cool is the first time you start exploring that world, because we're so inundated with the the popular regions of France, it's like, wow, what a world that I'd never paid attention to, like perhaps atonal music that we've talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. You know, you maybe have heard about it, or you might have heard a piece and not known what it is. I mean, you may have been traveling through France and had fair and never knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just the bistro wine or something, right? This producer, he opts out of the region why it doesn't say Gaillac on his label um, is because he has opted out of the AOC or AOP system. He yeah. is part of a IGP system, which is basically instead of saying Minneapolis, you're saying Hennepin County. Yep, because Tarn, the, right? Yep, the mm-hmm. rules are looser, but it's also he thinks that you can have – such poor farming in Gaillac and still wear the Gaillac patch, and he doesn't agree with that. He's doing all biodynamic farming. I think he has less than a hectare of grapes, um, the majority being fair. But he's just a, a really cool guy making really awesome, and as much as I want to say simple wines, you can really extract a mm-hmm. lot of adjectives and fun and meaning out of this this little you know, $22 wine, which is really cool in the natural wine sector is very low sulfur additions, sometimes none at all, depending on his cuvee. Cuvee. Uh, the wine. Okay. Because he makes a couple different wines um, from a state fruit, and then he buys, he helps his friends make some wine. So With his grapes. With their grapes. With their grapes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. back to the bassoon. Back to the bassoon. All right. Yeah. I wanted to talk about just the bassoon's trajectory through history. From the late 1600s, so after its, we'll say, development, it is throughout the 16, the rest of the 1600s and the 1700s, we have a role that's known as, in the classical music world, like bass continuo, where it's sort of playing this role of being the bass, basically, of the, of the, the woodwind section. And you can hear it, but you usually have to really search for it when it's doing that. And even, you know, sometimes you can pick it out. It'll have a, not a solo, but it'll it'll have a little moment to shine, but it's always like, do, do, do. It's not like giving it any, any sort of like glamour. So I wanted to play something where you can definitely hear that front and center. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to play a little bit without Emily knowing what it is, but I'll just say it so all of you can know what it is. We're going to listen to a work from Francesco Biscogli, not to be confused with Biscotti. Biscogli, he lived from around 1715 to around 1740. Rough. We don't know for sure. But what we're going to listen to is the only surviving composition we still have from this man. He wrote a concerto for trumpet, oboe, and bassoon. And what I love about this piece... um, it's three movements, is in two of the movements specifically, the second and the third, he does a great job of using the continual 
And then all of a sudden it's like solo time and then it's <laughs> continual and then it's solo time. And you can, you really see the passing of the baton for the bassoon. So it's a really beautiful, but then an educational piece for people to listen to. So we'll just listen to it. <laughs> So beginning of the second movement. That beautiful but poor little bassoon just hanging out, making everything sound better, like the salt in the dessert, just like... Yep. Burm, burm, burm. Just okay. gives it a little edge. Yeah. yeah, it totally gives it more edge. is really great too. So this trumpet's getting it first, right? Yep. And all of a sudden it's like, and here's the baton, buddy. Yes. <laughs> the bassoon's just like, I am here and listen to me. Yep. And it's just so pretty. Getting it? They sound so beautiful together. It's interesting how the bassoon has two very important roles in this piece, both yep. as soloist and as part of the bass. Yeah, it's and then also cool. kind of tenoring in, at the same, like also being the supporting role while people are are yep. soloing, I think is really pretty. Yeah. Um, so that is both sort of a continual, I think, mixed with you've got some solo in there. Did you want to say anything about more about Barocal before we... I, I don't have too much more to say about it. Well, then let's drink some more. Other than it's Come delicious. On, I mean, I would love to drink more and talk about what it tastes like. Yeah, let's do that. Because people bandy about terms like red currants. I know. Which, we, don't, we don't need to talk about red currants. We can talk about energy. I've never had a red currant in my life that I know of. I mean, I don't know if I've ever had a red currant. This, though, is, uh, again, such a delightful rendition of a red wine. To me, such that I will lick the drips off the side of the glass that are dripping down. I'm not going to pose no, no judgment coming, <laughs> coming from mine. Well, um, the color, we haven't yeah. talked about the color. And to me, this is such a beautiful, dark, purpley red. You know, it's, it's got like really purple Like purpley tones. red wine, you mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 What, other, what else would be well, purpley red? Well, like some people red? would maybe think you think it's red, purpley red. Oh. As in color. Oh. So I get, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like if you if you were to say 
verbally, oh, it's a really dark purpley red, I would think you're talking about like red with a lot of hues of purple in it versus you meant red wine, right? Yeah. So I think that is – Gotcha. If I were a wine professional, I'd be like, oh, that's a really light colored Cervidu. Oh. is so. it, It's supposed to be this dark, right? Yeah. I mean, I think to me this looks like really – it almost looks like black, like it's opaque – Yep. The, if I have it's enough really in my dark. glass, it's opaque. Yeah. Wait, um, did I not give you enough? Do you want more? No, I just took a heavy I thought sip. so. <laughs> I'm like, I thought I put more in there than that. <laughs> no. Uh, it, but it like has, you can't really see through. I can't see the writing on my little note mm -mm. sheet here. And it. No, um, you can't see through it. But it does have like this mm. very, yeah, dark kind of almost like purple black. Mm -hmm. magenta black. It's not as purpley as like Malbec is purple. It's actually yeah. Prince purple. <laughs> um, this doesn't have that purple color. It's more like a like a rustic purple or like a... Yeah. Mm, it's good. Mm -hmm. Very easy to drink. Very easy to drink. Yep. All right. Well, so I got one more tune in me. Awesome. So this is from a guy who, like, I don't want to say he's one of my favorite composers because that's not... It's, that's hard to say. That's like a favorite wine. Um, but I find that whenever I listen to it, I get like immediately soothed. And I think that's what you could also say like, why, did, Jill, why did you choose the bassoon? And I think, I think it works like I think. Like it's kind of rigid. But then it's also, I love how calming and how sensual it can sound. But also then it get, has a lot of energy. Like I, I, in a way that other instruments don't convey that all in one package. And this, the bassoon for me does. So this is from a composer who lived in the 18 and 1900s. He was born in 1864 and he died in 1945, uh, Alessandro Longo. And I wanted to focus on his suite for bassoon and piano because it's just so pretty. <laughs> and I, there's like nothing more that I can say other than that. It's There are three movements. We're going to focus on the second and the third because I think the exchanges are just really pretty. Here's the second movement, which is the Romanza. Is that complex? No. Nope. Is it pretty? All day. <laughs> like here in Minnesota when it snows in April. Mm -hmm. If this is on, then that's pretty. Yep. <laughs> and if it's not, you're like, fuck this, you know? <laughs> um, and so this is the third movement is the vivace. They're just such, there's such contrasting sounds, which I love that. Not only the piano and the bassoon, but the second and the third movement. And I'll fast forward to like right around shy of the first minute is really fun. Then that happens. 
happens. Like, <laughs> what the hell is that about? That's like wine on day seven that shouldn't be good, and you're like, it's making you cry. <laughs> and it's the bassoon and the piano together, people. It's just like too Beautiful. good. Just three times a year that does happen to me. Sorry, what? I just needed to hear that part. Where I pull a wine out of the fridge on day seven and I cry because it's that good. I'm like, <laughs> it's just so pretty. Thank you, Alessandro Longo. I'm doing that Jimmy Fallon style. Thank you, Alessandro Longo, for making these hard days of April happy. so beautiful what do you have to say about this piece I think it's beautiful it's beautiful it's beautifully written he knew what he was doing see that yeah bring in the low range all day yeah use it all I have a life soundtrack for my funeral Someday, and yeah. I kind of can't decide if the third movement should be in there because <laughs> there are parts where I'm like, yes. And then this part, I think my my bestest of friends would laugh at this part. They'd be like, yeah, I get why that should be in there too. <laughs> to scores and pours. To scores and pours. And the bassoon. And brow call. Thank you for listening to Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You can find links and information about this episode at patreon.com slash scoresandpours and on Instagram at scoresandpours. If you like the show, consider making a financial contribution if you're able to patreon.com slash scoresandpours. Whoop whoop to those last few people that contributed. Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott. Our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media Inc.